Hey, everybody. I don't know how to start it off. What are your thoughts about the intro? All right. Well, I wrote down a list of points. Boundaries for our podcast. We curse a lot. Fucking obviously. We tell stories and jokes. We are allowing ourselves a space to talk about important and challenging subjects. <laughs> if any of these things are not okay with you, please don't listen to this podcast. But I, I think we should keep talking about this for for a minute and make that the intro. Just kind of take some of each of our statements and and make that the intro. And also I'll use the fart noises. Welcome to How I Met My Brother. Um, tan fucking cansado, first of all, porque yo hizo 26 miles on my bike yesterday. Um, I think one of the challenges here is going to be re- remembering stuff that we already talked about on the last <laughs> record. It's like, I'm not even done editing <laughs> the first recording and I already like, it was 15 minutes into our first recording, I had to edit out the second because I went on two separate rants about how being um, like insanely wealthy makes people insane. <laughs> anyway, welcome to uh, <laughs> How I Met My Brother. This is a podcast um, about two adult people finding out that they're siblings uh, in their 40s. Uh, my name is Leo Cardoza. I'm Heidi J. And, 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 and what do you want to talk about today, Heidi? Oh, gosh. Well, firstly, I would like to know why you didn't go backpacking. <laughs> right. So um, I was planning on going backpacking on uh, Friday and uh, over the weekend. And so Thursday night, Catherine and I were packing our stuff up and the cat comes into the bedroom and tries to take a piss in a box in the closet, which is not an uncommon thing for a cat to do. Um, so Catherine yelled at her and shooed her off and then realized that there was some blood in her urine. <gasps> yeah. So it was just a, Wait, uh, she just I, has a, she has a UTI. Um, apparently older female cats are prone to urinary tract infections. Uh, but yeah, that was a whole panic thing. It was like, we were halfway through packing all our shit and then we were like, well, f- because Uncle Ted was supposed to be coming over and checking on her while we were gone. Um, so that turned into a, a whole um, Friday morning of taking her to the vet and, you know, paying $400 to find out that she's got a urinary tract infection. So that was cool. But I mean, that's like I've never taken her to the vet before for as long as I've had her. So for like a lifetime of doctor bills, that's not, you know, it sucks to get that all at once. But it's not not that bad. All things Are considered. you just going to treat it with cranberry or? Uh, they gave her a fucking injection or something. Um, yeah, uh, it was pretty funny cause the vet, ha- the vet called me cause in order to determine what it was, of course they had to get a urine sample, which meant they had to draw a sample from her kidneys, which meant, you know, sticking a needle in her and they tried doing that. And she is a feisty little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so the vet called me like an hour after I dropped her off and he was like, Hey, I need your authorization to sedate your cat. <laughs> Because we can't get 
a needle in her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's remarkable what a seven pound, 16 year old cat can do when she's real angry. So you, you told me before that there was a cat that you found that was your friend's lost cat. There are this two. This is different than that cat. Or... Well, similar in that both of the cats that currently live in my house originally belonged to the same person, my best friend, Mike. Oh, wow. So uh, the indoor cat, the one that I've had for the longest, Esri, who had the, uh, the UTI, uh, she, uh, he used to live right next door to me. Um, so she, his now wife, uh, when, when they were dating, she moved into his house with her two cats and Ezra was like, fuck all y'all. And she started hanging out at my house and eventually they moved away and Ezra just stayed here and she's been my cat for like eight years. But also one of those two cats that Mike's wife, uh, brought with her when she moved into his house originally, um, he was wander. He was known for for wandering. He'd gone on walkabout and been missing for you know weeks on end, uh, several times over the course of the time that she'd had him. Uh, and then eventually one day he wandered off, and they just never saw him again. They assumed he was you know down the Rainbow Road. Meanwhile, there was this cat that had been living in my neighborhood. There's a bunch of random cats that just kind of roam the neighborhood. Some of them probably belong to people. Some of them, I don't know. This one had been living in like the crawl space underneath the house, like two doors down. And that neighbor finally like boarded up the crawl space so he couldn't get in there anymore. And he started hanging out in my, my lumber pile behind my garage. Um, and so Catherine and I felt bad for him. He's very sweet and was kind of pathetic. And, uh, you know, was he's a long hair. So his hair is all matted from, you know, living in the wild. And, um, and so we took him to the vet and got him checked out. And they scanned his chip. And they're like, okay, we'll scan his chip. And we'll call, you know, whatever the owner on file is. And, you know, see if they want to, um, you know, see if they want to get him or whatever. And about an hour later, I get a text from Mike. And he's like, holy shit, somebody in your neighborhood found Klepto and took him to the vet and just called Jessica. And I was like, it's me, it was me, it's me, I found a cat! The same cat! He had been missing, he had, he had run away from their house like eight years ago or something. He'd just been living in the wild in our neighborhood like all this time. Um, so yeah, he is now living, he's, he, we're still keeping him outside um, because... As he finally figured out the pet door, so that's that's created a level of uh, of, of challenge for Catherine and I currently because um, we have to. He got in um, in the middle of the night. Catherine and I woke up in the middle of the night last week uh, and just heard two cats hissing at each other, mostly Esri hissing it at uh, at him. Um, but yeah, he definitely knows how to work the pet door now. So now we have to keep the the pet door shut to keep him from from wandering inside. Um, anyway, so that's why we didn't go camping, but I ended up doing a whole shitload of bike riding. Cool. Tell me about why you're bike riding so much. Okay. So there's a trail challenge, um, that the Boise Trails Association does every year. Um, and they just mark, they, they designate cause the, the Boise Foothills is a shitload of, um, of mountain biking trails, like that go from town all the way up to the ski hill and like all the way across kind of the, the, the range of where Boise butts up against the, the mountains. Um, 
It's like one of the number one things that people love about Boise is having the, the foothills to go and, and bike and hike in and walk their dogs and stuff. Um, so they do this thing to, uh, and I didn't enter it with the intention of actually being competitive. Uh, I just wanted to finish it. It's, it was, it's been a great motivation for me to get out and ride my bike. Cause a lot of times I just make excuses not to. Um, and it's been a great opportunity to check out a bunch of trails that I've never been on before. Um, cause like there's an entrance to the foothills a mile from my house. And so a lot of times if I'm going to go for a ride, I just default to going to the closest place, um, because it's, because it's easy. So I have done, um, I've logged as of my ride that I just finished 113 out of 171 miles, um, for the challenge. And, uh, and I've ridden much more than that because the, um, like, it's all marked in sections. So you have to like traverse all these different sections, but they're not like in loops. So inevitably you end up doing, you know, more miles. Like yesterday, the first thing that I did was this really steep climb. So it's like four miles up, but there's not a loop to that you can do with it. So I just had to go four miles up and then come back down it. Um, but I, like, I only got, you know, the, the uphill only is the only part that counted for the, uh, for the, for the challenge. But yeah, that was the, the it was the the longest ride that I, I think the longest mountain biking ride that I've ever done. It was the, definitely the longest one that I've done so far during this challenge. I was out for like six hours, um, and did a total of almost twenty six miles. I almost ran out of water. Uh, I had wow. just barely enough water to uh, to finish it. Scary. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. What have you been doing besides getting COVID? Oh, well, I did want to share that a cool art opening happened for me this weekend. Um, it was a big art opening. I've been working in collaboration with four other artists. Uh, one is a Blackfoot Indian comedian named Michael Beers, and another is a local Canadian who's transgendered female named Charlotte McCorn, and a guy that I'm kind of dating named Gavin Workman. Oh, and... you're kind of dating. Oh, yeah. I don't know what's happening. It's a little scary. Um, I am, though. I think we're kind of dating, Leal. Yeah? Um, First time in five years. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's just very, the vulnerability. Oh, my God. I need it's to weird. stop. Stop talking with food in my mouth. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, opening uh, opening yourself up to to vulnerability again uh, is uh, is is a tough thing to do. It is so tough, especially when you've been fucked over by a lot of people before. <laughs> And then to be like, all right, this is a different person, and it's not going to go the same as, as it's gone in the past. Uh, and then you have to talk about it, but then you don't know each other very well. And trying to figure out, like, how deep to go, but then to stay also fun yeah. and not go too deep. Um, there's <laughs> like, Where are the handbooks on this shit? Hey, I really enjoy hanging out with you. You want to see all my shit? You want <laughs> Here. Here's, here's all my shit. No, that's too much shit. Too much shit. Let me just give you like a little piece at a time. Yeah. Here's some shit. Ah. Anyway. Um, 
But we did these tarot cards. The the five of us got together and we are a part of a local all abilities organization called Base. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do comedy actually and theater with people of all abilities, which was a huge uh, training for me to learn how to do theater in a space um, with people where you you don't have to look perfect and be on your game all the time, which is different than like the stand-up comedy crowd where mm-hmm. you really want to have a good, right, and you want to. You want to have a good set. You want to get up in front of your audience and you want to entertain them. You want to make them laugh one time in every 10 seconds or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh but it's different when you're doing comedy improv. There isn't this pressure to please everybody and entertain everybody. You just are all expressing yourselves and you're all having fun and making fools of yourselves in front of each other. And it's blah, one of the most exquisite experiences I've had. And so we, we got together and we thought about what are so... Uh, I'm not religious, um, although I'm spiritual... So we wanted to look at archetypes and create our own archetypal uh, images around disability. And um, so we made the first panel is called We Have Always Been Here. Shit, I have the cards. I'm going to show them to you. Whoa. Oh, shit. Okay. Shit, 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 shit. It's all going wrong. It's all going wrong. I'm going to let it all out. Fuck, shit, cunt, fucking. All right. I'm, I, I, I can probably bleep some of that. <laughs> bleep, bleep. Should bleep. All right. So I don't know if you can see these, Leal. So this is the first one, and it's called We Have Always Been Here. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that the shaman guy in the middle, Michael Beers, is a Blackfoot native. He's telling us all stories throughout all of human history of how people of all abilities, and we call it disabilities, but it's all abilities, have been here. And we've always been here. They've always been there. I have an invisible disability. And, and this notion that, um, the, that all abilities could be normalized. And that also people with differing abilities have a lot to teach us and that they always have throughout time as well. And then the next one is, oh my gosh, who is this person? Do you recognize that person? I mean, is it half of it you? The whole thing's me. What, what's, what's with the one half of it looks like a black guy? Okay, this one's called the it, healer. <clears throat> this is right, really this is really terrible audio content. Um, I should probably <laughs> I should I should describe these for the sake of the audio content. All right, so yeah, wait, let's wait. start over. We have always been here. I'm gonna read the back. Okay. Ancestors with disabilities from different eras in history gather around a fire. A sacred figure speaks with power, recalling the important role of disabled individuals in many traditional communities. Blackfeet, Haida, Tinglet, Salish Kootenai tribal members are present in the scene. 
People with disabilities have always been here on tribal land. Ancient artifacts have shown that care and accommodation of the disabled were normal in over 30 prehistoric communities around the world. Digs have revealed rich burial gifts surrounding disabled community members at these sites. In Western Galilee, the grave of a shaman held the 12,000-year-old remain of a woman with a unique skeletal structure surrounded with 50 tortoise shells and covered by an eagle's wing. This card reveals that you too are deserving of honor and care in the interdependent web of life. Okay, and the image on this card is, like you said, your friend uh, in the kind of center of seven people sitting around a fire. Um, so he's kind of standing up and talking while everybody, I, I, I assume this is all represents the other people that are in the um, in the collective uh, that are all represented on sitting around and listening to him talk. Yes. Okay. Nice job. All right, number two. I'll okay, right. So yeah, this same. is... Uh, an image of these all look kind of like tarot cards. So they've got like kind of a, a border around the edge of them. That's kind of a, a halfway between like a, a, a smoky frame and almost kind of um, like a, um, uh, like an inner woe, like kind of inner interlocking lines um, that says the healer. Um, but it's, it's divided uh, down, down the middle. Uh, so the right half of the body is just, uh, is just Heidi in like a, the, the whole, the whole body is wearing like a white doctor's coat. Um, the right half is like holding, um, like a, a chalice, like a gold chalice and has flowers in the pocket. Uh, and then the, uh, left half, uh, looks like a, a black man holding a sword and a doctor's bag and a stethoscope. Nice. Okay, so yeah. The doctor figure carries the light and shadow sides of medical care. On the right, he sees only what is wrong, piercing us with a dehumanizing gaze and wielding the cold sword of judgment. We meet this archetype in ego-driven professionals, advice-giving strangers, and the internal self-critic. On the left, we meet the loving gaze of recognition in a being who offers us the true medicine of receptivity, relatedness, and a just right recipe to spark the healing we need. This card advises us to unite the opposites within to move forward on our path. Oh my God, is that fun? Mm-hmm. Making our own tarot and shit. All right, this is a good one. This is called 10 Friends. Okay, so we have uh, a mountain scene with a big kind of a, a pile of people. Um, there's a there's one person like walking down a path at the foot of this mountain through kind of a field. Um, then you've got this uh, this this pile of people that are uh, there's there's a person in front on a motorized wheelchair. There's a person sitting standing on the back of the motorized wheelchair in a cape. Um, there's a guy kind of on one knee, very much looking like um, uh, the I guess archetype of a uh, like a larper or something. Like uh, he's got some kind of a uh, a, a head scarf uh, kind of thing on and he's holding like a sword um and then uh at the top of the pile i think it's jesus 
That's the guy I'm dating. Oh, it's okay. Jesus. I wanted you to know that. <clears throat> that means you're going to be saved. Because <clears throat> you're my brother. Okay, anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so tell, tell us about this one. So this is called Ten Friends. A fellowship travels in mountainous territory, navigating a landscape of beauty and difficulty. Working together, the group helps one member pass over an obstacle. Each person assists in their own way, bearing their friend to safety. Some of the actors with disabilities shown here provide care for friends and family with different abilities. One is an able-bodied family caregiver. Before the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990, activist Jim Wayland, who had a visual impairment, said he never had trouble going anywhere 10 of his friends wanted to go. This holds true whenever a community pulls tight around someone in need. Peer support and sticking together work their magic again and again. This card affirms that we cannot do alone what we can do together. Goodness. That's awesome. This is making me think of um, a guy that I uh, follow on Instagram, and I actually can't remember what his uh, his name is. His Instagram handle is ASF Vision. Um, he is a um, a judo. Uh, he competes in in judo in. Um, uh, what do you call, uh, is it Paralympics or I think it's Paralympics. Um, and Anthony Ferraro is his name. He's blind. Um, and I found his Instagram cause his, uh, his Instagram videos are just really funny. Cause every single one of them starts with him saying I'm blind and then saying, let's go like, let's do something. So it's like, I'm blind. Let's make chicken wings or I'm blind. Let's go skateboarding. Um, and so he does like all kinds of like really remarkable stuff, the stuff that people would assume their blind person can't do. Um, and of course, a lot of it involves him getting assistance from uh, either his wife or from uh, from other people. Uh, but he's still doing a lot of things that people would automatically assume that a blind person can't do. Um, so I just really, yeah, I, I love his contact content. Yeah, I think we did a performance um last week also uh, with people of all of it, uh, abilities and I did some clowning and I was just so, it was so beautiful how much everyone in that community supports each other verbally as well. So it's like, good job, I'm proud of you. Um, and those kinds of words are coming out and being shared amongst everybody and that sense of needing help and being able to give and receive help without shame and you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps the way that we're kind of conditioned to do and not reach out for help um, and not reach out for support and have to do everything on our own. Uh, so maybe there's something to be learned. There, there absolutely is. I mean, one of the things that always jumps out in my mind is that um, people's negative reactions to um, people with, with different, differing levels of ability, um, a lot of it comes from a deep place of fear of not of, of eventually losing some ability of your own of not being you know able-bodied or whatever um 
and so it tur- and because wow. because as a society we are so deeply dysfunctional and so severely in need of uh, you know loving kindness and mental health care and uh, and shit like that but yeah. you know people will will lash out um, just out of this this because de- it is a I mean it's an, it's incredibly terrifying um, to it's like one of the one of the things that in horror is is most um, like deeply kind of gut level and like lizard brain level uh, upsetting to me is uh, the idea of like permanent injury, like getting like losing a limb or, you know, uh, being um, uh, paralyzed or, or something like that. When I, when I, when you're, when you're watching um, horror, not even horror, but you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff in different, different types of, of media um but that's the thing that really really gets into my lizard brain because i'm like oh god that's permanent that's you're gonna like that's that's gonna be like that forever and it and and it's natural and it's normal for that to be terrifying it should be terrifying like that's um you know that that's how we protect ourselves uh from you know how how we stay away from from getting injured that's how how we survive is by being afraid of doing permanent damage to ourselves but the 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 necessary and kind of more enlightened perspective that has to go along with that is that um it does happen to people either by birth or by accident and those people are still people and um if we're gonna be a society that um claims to care about each other then we've got to have room for the for 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 everybody um you know and not treat and not do not do the bullshit where you only like where you try to where you means test people's levels of ability and you know you're not going to you're you're not you're going to try to avoid offering help to somebody because they're um you know whatever their disability is 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 their fault because they whatever you know they were uh uh, uh, yeah they were a, they were a, a drug addict and they you know used a dirty needle and gave themselves nerve damage or or something or they were they were drunk they they hurt themselves in a drunk driving accident or or whatever so they're not worthy but oh we'll be you know we'll we'll make accommodation for the people who are, are born that way because that's not their fault but um but that's bullshit logic because if you use that logic you're leaving open room for the religious logic that has been used plenty of times uh, for that. It, that if somebody is born that way, it's because God hates them and because they did something bad in the last life. And that that can ex- extend into like what we were talking about, um, like, you know, wealth gospel and prosperity gospel and stuff um, the, on, on our last recording, because uh, that's a big part of prosperity gospel is like if you're wealthy, if you're doing well, it's because God loves you. And if you're not, then it's because you're you know, God's mad at you. And then you can and, and that same logic gets extrapolated to people who are born into bad circumstances whether it is physical, you know, something to do with them physical or something to do with where, where they're, you know, what they're born into socioeconomically. Um, and it's all, and it, and the, and you use the same logic to, to, to justify it and to say that, no, that's the way that that person's supposed to be. That's the life they're supposed to have because God wants it that way. And you can justify people living in fucking horrifying conditions. Um, because you've got this, this horrible argument that you've been fed. Did you cover a lot of amazing shit there? Damn. We all uh, that that was that took longer this time wow. to get to get into some to some of the deep shit than it did last time because <laughs> we started getting into the deep shit uh, with it, like in the first ten <laughs> minutes last time. 
I've been well, listening. I really appreciated. I appreciated what you just said. I've never thought of that. Um, you know, I've thought about it with racism a lot because I've done quite a bit of anti-racist work. And then this, there's there's literature out there now that shows um, how ancestral trauma and epigenetic trauma is part of what is creating white-bodied supremacy. And so that's just a projection of people's shame and fear onto other people. And I never translated that also into people with disabilities, that somebody has a fear inside of themselves that that could actually happen to them. It's, or, you know, I have friends who are, get really upset at homeless people because they're just so terrible. And it's just like, wow, what is that a projection of inside of the individual themselves? Like, are you scared of, you could become homeless in an instant. You know, any one of us could get in a car crash or a bike accident or a motorcycle accident. For me, I have the invisible disability of PTSD and it affects me every day. Lots of people have that. Everybody has trauma. So, I mean, what are we doing? Why do we keep projecting this fucking fear onto each other, man? <laughs> I mean, it's because we don't have a very good handle on, like, uh, what our brains are doing and, like, how our uh emotional regulation systems work i've been listening to that book again um which one that, hungry that, ghosts yeah yeah okay um, i want to talk about that in this yeah, podcast. yeah no we absolutely need to talk about that um because one <laughs> of the well so one of the things that mate talks about um is, i had forgotten that this was such a huge part of but part of it but he does talk a tremendous amount about wealth inequality and um, like oil addiction is a huge. He spends a he spends <gasps> a bunch of time on oil addiction. Um, and I was that, talking about oil addiction with my friends the other night. Um, and he talks about so. I, and I, I told you this already that that the, the wow. um, like his his personal addiction is he's addicted to to buying classical music CDs, um, which like anybody you tell anybody that and they're like oh whatever that's not a real addiction that's a hobby or whatever but no like he runs through all of the shit that he's done in um in in service of of his addiction he has lied to his spouse he has shirked his work responsibilities he has spent irresponsibly he like like all of the shit that goes along with addiction all the the addictive patterns are um are there uh it's just that his is a socially acceptable addiction and i think that is what gives him um it gives him more insight into because the the really like addiction is just it, it addiction is a, is a dysfunction of our ability of our body's abilities to uh produce or regulate or uptake uh serotonin and uh oxytocin and uh and dopamine right um and some people fix that by doing things that are societally acceptable and some people fix it by doing things that are are less acceptable but it's the same thing it's the same problem um it's just that we have decided that uh the way that some people regulate that problem uh is is okay and in fact and in many cases laudable uh like the 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 overworking or the mass accumulation of uh, of wealth and um and yeah. and status and attention because yeah. um you know, wealth and uh, wealth and fame go hand in hand, but plenty of people uh, seek out fame for its own for for its own sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's like social media has become a bigger and bigger uh, part of that. 
Um, there's not, there's, there's not one thing and I don't know what the hell the solution is, but, um, but yeah, (laughs) the only thing that I can think of, and it's not a solution, but it's a step towards a solution maybe, uh, is awareness is just talking about it and being like, Hey, all of our brains don't work good. I don't know why, but, um, like we need to be more more cool with each other about how all of our brains don't work good cuz pretty much or, all of our brains or you know putting don't... it in a different frame right now it seems like the overriding culture in the world it's like you're saying there is no awareness around how our brains function for the most part maybe if we started learning a social emotional learning from a very young age um but also that there is a potential to redesign a society and that this has already been done in smaller societies where we do understand ourselves in this part of our nature to go over the top, consume too much. And so we create limits and we have limits. And I know that nobody wants to hear that because we're so accustomed to not having limits, but, but we need limits and we need rest and we need some healing, uh, equity, and in order, you know, in, and I think in order to start, we need to have more people on board with generally understanding the human organism and how it functions in relationship to the unconscious and the conscious. We, we absolutely need to know more about how we work. Um, I think about this in terms of um, like next steps in human evolution. Um, yeah. Because it always drives me nuts when you hear, like, one of the biggest, one of the big, um, like, fucking right-wing talking points, especially amongst, like, the conspiracy nuts, like Alec Jones and shit, um, is about the globalists and globalization and all this shit. And it's like, where, what do you think is good? Like, are we, if we're going to progress as a society to a next level of evolution, if we're going to move beyond this planet... Um, or just move beyond the same dysfunctional fucking yeah. patterns that we yes. that that we as a species have been yeah. enacting and repeating over yes. and fucking over again yes. uh, for our entire written history. Um, <laughs> like if we're gonna move beyond that, we need to be aware of it, and also we need a global society because. If we're not all working together in the same direction, if we're not all working towards a, a, a form of, of evolution as a society, then we're never going to succeed because those dysfunctional things that keep dragging us back down into the dirt are going to keep arising. Um, yeah. You know and I mean? You see it with the fucking... Uh, the the rise of white nationalism in the United States right now, and there you know there, you see it in the the constant cycles of the the uh, of of greed and abuse under capitalism. Um, yeah, it's like we we don't we don't evolve without figuring out why we keep doing this and then not doing that anymore. <laughs> that is it. That is it. That's the nugget, audience. And on that note, I'm going to do the fourth card. Okay. Um, 
And I also, I don't think I said this person's name. I don't know if this is, I think they're all be fine that they're mentioned in this podcast. Uh, cause we're all very similar in the way that we, we think about the world. But, uh, the, the, the person who headed this project up was a female and her mm -hmm. name's Jenny Montgomery. And I just want to honor her. She did such a good job. This is called Our Future. Okay, so we have... Oh, man, this one's good. I like this one. Okay, so we have uh, a card that is uh, split on the diagonal. Um, so the upper left of the diagonal, of the, the upper left triangle, is uh, two people who look like they're in some sort of like spaceman gear. Is that what that's supposed to be? Yeah. Okay, um, like dressed as space people on a desert planet. It actually looks like that really famous photo that I think was taken in like Africa or something with the um, the sand and the dead looking trees and the red sky. Um, and they're... It's supposed space... to be a little like Mad Max. Okay, yeah. So it's post-apocalyptic. One of them's holding a skull and then there's a guy behind them uh, with a gun. Yeah. And then... On the bottom right, you have uh, people standing in a field with flowers. They are dressed as um, whoa, man. What do you? How do you call uh, trash bag wizards? <laughs> yes. Is that what that's? Yes. Okay. Yes, so that is exactly what it is. It's trash bag wizards. Okay, so yeah, what is Perfect. what is what's what's the <clears throat> okay. our future? As the world careens toward an uncertain future, people with disabilities see the social supports that ensure health and independence increasingly under threat, much like our transgendered friends. In the absence of strong Medicaid and home-based care. Will communities pull together to create new forms of mutual aid? Will we slow down and learn to thrive in a world that consumes less and cooperates more? Or will our lower instincts take over, making the world more threatening and less humane? Two groups mirror one another's gestures and actions as we face this fork in the road ahead. This card whispers, it's partially up to you. I think the idea of um, like community mutual aid is something that's that's very important right now. It's really easy to get stuck in the um, kind of frustration cycle of like national politics and arguing for for like nationalized health care. Um, and like obviously stuff like that should happen and obviously it's really fucking frustrating to be a so-called world leader uh that has a shittier uh healthcare system than every other first world country in the fucking world um and the the temptation to just fucking leave and be like you know what i'm i'm done um moving to portugal um but uh but yeah i mean it's it's a vital importance and I and the optimistic side of me thinks okay well maybe if um, if there's more work toward mutual aid more you know small-scale um, you know grassroots work to create that on uh, a town level 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 uh, a neighborhood level uh, whatever then that creates a helps to create a culture where that eventually trickles up 
but I also think that I'm being fucking childish in that level of optimism because that doesn't overcome the power structures within the world that are preventing it from happen happening. Um, it doesn't overcome the reason that capitalism keeps us from having a, a nationalized healthcare system. It in fact removes the motivation for, uh, for, for industry to solve the problem because it's no longer a problem because community level mutual aid is taking care of it. And therefore, uh, the, you know, the medical industrial complex doesn't have to worry about it. Uh, so that's my, my cynical. Do you have the same thing that I do where like almost every situation provokes you to give, uh, like to, to consider like both sides of the, of the possibility. Like I've, I've always assumed it was a Gemini thing, but it's (laughs) something that I've always done. Um, where somebody will ask me like a really simple question and I will give a very long answer. Um, let's see. So audience friends in the audience, um, as you know, Leal and I have our, our siblings and we just met each other and, this process that he and I are going through of doing these podcasts is we're just opening up to all of you because he and I are just getting to know each other as well as y'all are getting to know us. Um, and that's a part of this podcast idea is not only to talk about some of these bigger issues that we both see in the world, but, um, to see like, what were we like growing up and to share some of those stories. So I, let's see, this is a good opportunity to share some things. I have always, since I was young, a few things. I've always abhorred fighting ever since I was a kid. I have been some kind of peacemaker and I've always wanted to be a peacemaker between people um, too much so to a fault. And I'm trying to shift that patterning in myself. And then, yes, I've always seen the positive and the negative of things. There's always, like, the shadow and light. That's been a part of my jam. I think there is a, even a horoscopes book that I read for June 10th that says shadow and light. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, they're both there, and you need both of them. And if you don't look at one, and you just become the cynic. And who wants to just be a cynic? But then if you don't have some ground then you're just like we the these uh toxic positivity people whatever what about you what what else were you like naturally um from when you were a kid um performance was always a big thing um oh i forgot yeah so we we talked about this making this a, a regular uh segment the what did i miss segment um so uh, t- to tell each other about important uh, events from uh, from uh, both of our childhoods that uh, we should have been, we both should have been. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's do this. Let's do this. So, um, yeah, no, I was like definitely a performer. Mom and dad have a picture of me um, in in the dining room at their house where I'm like standing on a table, like they had a party or something and I'm like barely able to walk. I'm like less than two. And, um, I just decided to like get on a table, put on a pair of sunglasses. I think they're upside down and I'm just like looking at around at people, just trying to like, just, just trying to get attention and get laughs. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a very, uh, and did they all laugh? 
Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I, uh, it, it, um, so very much that it took me a really long time because I think our, uh, you know, we both, we all took like the Myers-Briggs personality test, which is absolute trash. Um, <laughs> it took me like a really long time. I'm talking like within maybe the last five years or so to understand that, uh, the rigid de- delineation of extrovert and introvert is, is bullshit. Um, totally. And the idea of being like an extroverted introvert or an, or an introverted extrovert, uh, which I still think are not great ways of describing uh, a person, but they're more effective than just saying a person is either an introvert or an extrovert. Um, but, but yeah, I've, I've, I've always gotten a certain amount of, um, of energy and, uh, and, and uh, uh, inspiration and, and had, had been, been pulled towards some form of performing but also on a one-to-one level, just trying to go and meet a new person and talk to them and like make a new friend or something. I am, I am fucking incompetent. Um, really? Oh yeah. I'm pretty bad at it. Um, like I've gotten a lot better because I'm, uh, you know, I'm this old now and I've, I've learned a lot of things that I, it's just one of those, like it doesn't, it did not come to those skills did not come to me by default. Um, they were things that I had to be like, Hey, why do, uh, why are other people better at this than me? And, uh, and I had to figure out ways to, to, to do that. Um, so did, did your dad, while you guys were growing up for you and Mercedes and Alex, our dad, um, mm-hmm. did he support y'all's creativity and, and artistic expression? Oh yeah. 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 Big time all of it uh all the art forms it seems yeah. like it yeah 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 i mean mercedes has always been uh, a very very talented uh visual artist she's a fantastic photographer um she does uh like a bunch of like cool funky stuff that like she uh she started doing um pop-up greeting cards um, she doesn't sell them or anything. She just makes them, uh, like for, for holidays. So she like made a, this cutout of the Charlie Brown gang, uh, for how, like in the, in, in the, the pumpkin patch for the, the, um, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, you know? Um, and, and it's like a pop-up card, uh, wow. that you like open up and, um, yeah, she's a great photographer and, um, she did a lot of other like, uh, visual art stuff. Alex has always been, music has been his his big thing for forever um and yeah performance was was always my thing um did you do performances in high school and and grade oh, yeah. school yeah yeah i mean i start so i took the first time I, I think i told you this is also kind of the seed of what became my dysfunctional relationship with myself as an artist um because they wanted to sign me up for this uh Fort Boise, like Boise Parks and Rec, uh, drama class, okay. uh, summer class. Um, How old mo- are you at the? Um, t- maybe ten or twelve. Okay. Um, and it was a summer class, and it was basically like they wanted to get me out of the fucking house. Um, they didn't want me <laughs> sitting around watching watching TV all summer, and they knew. I mean, they were both had. Uh, enough, you know, perception in them to be like, yeah, this kid is gonna do great on stage. Um, I didn't want to do it. They talked me into it by telling me that uh, actors like who are in commercials and stuff make a lot of money. And I was like, Ooh, I want money. Um, so it, it, that, that seed remained there. And, and um, so wait, always... hold on, hold on. They told you at the camp 
No, no, no. Mom and dad told me that. That is how that that's how they convinced me to go to the camp because I didn't want to go. Oh shit, that's a little manipulative. It um I mean it's sort of true if you like get famous or whatever, but so that that created this this foundation for me mm. that where I equated the worthwhileness of doing performance um with the financial success of the endeavor. And so that I mean, that's a big part of by the time I got to my 30s and could see no clear path to um, to, to making a living uh, at all as a performer. I was just like, OK, I guess I just don't do this anymore. Um, so that was and I, I mean, I, I don't think they were like trying to create that outcome. They were just trying to convince me to do something that they knew that I would be good at. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was unfortunately like created at that that association that has taken a long time to kind of parse out from my, my genuine love of, uh, of performance. I'm actually signing up for, um, so the, uh, the lounge at the end of the universe, uh, here in Boise does a pun slam. Um, every, I think they do it more than once a year. I've never been to it or anything, but we were out with friends last night and, um, some of Catherine's friends would, so, I haven't been doing stand up. I I I completely quit doing stand up and didn't do it for like 6 years. Um I finally went back to it and did a little bit of traveling and you know went to the club here in Boise pretty regularly for several years and then covid hit and I just like bailed um So you were but, doing comedy before covid hit. Yeah. So yeah. you and I. Okay. Okay. Now how fucking weird is this people? I go and live off grid, face some epigenetic trauma, come back, and I get in a comedy on the, in the comedy scene here in Missoula, and I start learning about comedy while my brother, who I didn't know existed and I never thought I would ever meet, was also doing comedy in Boise, Idaho, a mere six hours away, and we didn't even know it. And you're a fucking great comedian. I, I, I write okay. You're a um, really good writer. But so this pun slam thing has been um it's been happening for a while and I've never seen it. Uh but oh, the point I was getting to was um so Catherine and I think a couple of her friends came to a show like one time um when the club was still open and um and I was performing. So I think she's seen me do stand up exactly once. Um and none or almost none of her friends have um so it's very oh, really? funny because they know me and they, they they know me in completely uh different context um so they were talking about one of them wanted to go to the pun slam I was talking about it last night um and i was like man i so jen the woman who runs the uh club has been uh nagging me to show up and um to participate in some stuff. Um, and she's right. You know, I, I, I should, it's just a matter of like making time for it and everything. Um, and so I was like, fuck, I should just go do this pun slam thing. So the, the, the premise of it is you show up and the, you have like an hour, they give you a topic and you have a, an hour to write a bunch of puns and then you go up and perform them. And then there's, I think it's like there's judges and an audience, uh, you know, applause meter kind of thing. Um, and then they have, I think they have like a multiple, multiple elimination, 
uh, like competition thing uh, aspect to it. Could you define for all of us exactly what is a pun and give us a couple examples? According to Google, a pun, also known as paranomasia, is a form of wordplay that exploits multiple meanings of a term or of similar sounding words for an intended humorous or rhetorical effect. These ambiguities can arise from intentional use of homophonic, homographic, metonomic, or figurative language. And this is from a... Uh, a board panda list of 80 of the funniest puns ever. Are you oh ready? my god. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. So <clears throat> light travels faster than sound, which is why some people appear bright until you hear them speak. I was wondering why the ball was getting bitter, bigger, and then it hit me. Oh! <laughs> I have some jokes. <laughs> oh, this is bad. I've written some jokes about unemployed people, but they didn't work. <laughs> I renamed my iPod the Titanic, so when I plug it in, it says the Titanic is sinking. How do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. Oh! <laughs> this one's pretty good. When life gives you melons, you're dyslexic. Oh! That's a great one. That one's pretty good. I just try... I keep thinking of beat off and like there's a beat that's on a table... I mean, I have to work this one out, and then the beat falls off, but then you're beating off. Anyway, I have to work on that. Yeah, and I, and I won't know what the um, what the topic is until I get there the night of. So, so. they'll be like, gardening is your topic, and then you got to make up a whole bunch of sexy garden puns. Yeah, that's really bizarre that you said gardening, because that was the example that, that uh, Catherine's friend used last night. Huh. <laughs> um. I, I then didn't beat actually get off to... would work, and I'll let you use that. Don't right, worry. Yeah, no, something. Yeah, beat off should definitely be <laughs> should be the punchline to a gardening pun. If I get if gardening is the topic, um, when are you going to do this? Saturday. Next Saturday. Yeah. I wish I could quantum teleport. They might live broadcast it. <gasps> I'll check and see. Um, or they might, they'll definitely post um, like some clips and stuff from it on their Instagram, but they might also live stream it. Will you let me know? Yeah, totally. Well, that's really exciting. Are you excited? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, like a little nervous because I'm like, I don't usually write a whole lot of puns. But um, I want to ask you what can you tell me just a little bit about what was your process with comedy writing? 
And how, how did all of that relate to like the social issues for you? Would you mix things in, you know, have some, cause you did a lot of like feminine rights. I thought in your jokes that came naturally out of writing material about dating. Um, yeah, I was just, I, I was dating for a long time and, um, dealing with dating apps and stuff. And, uh, yeah, just kind of naturally came out and, and, and from just being a person who exists in the world and hearing about the shit that women go through and being like, Hey, that's not very fucking cool. Like the whole, <laughs> the whole bit about telling men not to send pictures, send unsolicited dick pics. Um, cause that's, that's a phenomenon that I've all like, Obviously, I understand the idea of sending uh, sexy pictures, sexy messages to somebody who wants to get them, you know, yeah. exchanging that mutually between two people. Yeah, obviously, I get that. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not hot. that's not something that you have to explain to me. But there are people who will beyond like there's there there's kind of two different categories of guys sending on uh, like um unwanted uh sexual advances advances to to women on the internet um there seems to be the there's probably more than two but i'm going to narrow it down to two right now for this example because there's there seems to be like there's there's the guy who somehow in his brain thinks that a woman who did not ask to see his penis is going to see his penis and be like dope dick i need that In, I need that dope dick in, in my mouth and my b-hole and my v-hole ASAP. Right now. Um, and then it doesn't happen, and then he calls her a whore, right? So there's that guy. But there's also this deeply fucked up and dysfunctional, like troll thing. It's it's it's. I hesitate to describe it as a kink because I don't want to be. I don't want to like associate negativity with a kink because I think again people who are into kink and it is occurring between willing and consensual people then fucking do whatever your kink is but i think for some people there is like there's shame kink and there are guys who will and maybe it's not shame maybe it's a power thing i think that's certainly part of it but for whatever reason and i'm sure there are several um there are guys who will send you know un, uh unwanted information un, unwanted uh pictures or advances to women knowing that they are going to get a neg negative reaction knowing that the the the, the woman is gonna is gonna tell them you know is gonna say awful things to them and um and that's what they're doing it for and that is somehow the that that is somehow the 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 power trip for them and i and i know that it occurs and i don't understand it um i mean i guess maybe maybe that maybe i do understand it better than i think but it's still it's still so fucking weird to me um so for that i mean like that that particular bit came out of like that and knowing what women deal with, with, uh, with online dating. Um, and also like the other part of that bit is me complaining about the number of fake profiles there are on, uh, on dating apps, um, particularly, you know, most, mostly targeted at men because it is fucking comical. Like if you haven't seen them, if you like, have you used dating apps at all? No. So I came back into civilization having had a breakup that was super painful. Mm -hmm. I had always been serial monogamous kind of a person. Plus I've done other things and experienced other things as well. Um, but I was 
fucked up enough from that relationship that I decided to take a break. Uh, I want to see if I have... I did a bit on the dating apps, so... Um, I couldn't... The other thing is that when I went to live off-grid, the dating app situation was not very big yet. And so I went away for six years, which is kind of a while, and society did change quite a bit. So in my 30s, we were all just still dating by meeting people and talking to them and going out on dates with them. Um, And I could not... The other thing about the dating app that I don't like, and it doesn't seem like you can really get away from it, is this sense that you're being consumed. It feels like you're in an Amazon warehouse. You're putting all these things to make yourself appear a certain way. You have no idea if anybody is telling the truth or not. And then you're liked or you're not liked. I don't know. It just, I just wasn't going to be able to, it didn't feel like it was going to help me build my confidence. But that was also like what everybody's doing. I don't know. What do you think of it all? So I had, um, I had some like early on experience with online dating um, and then I think I was actually, um, I forget if I told you, I was rejected by match.com. You were rejected by match.com. I think it was match.com. It could have been eHarmony. eHarmony. Um, what? That one was, freaks me out the most of all of them for some reason. It was one of the ones that like they touted their extremely high success ratio. Uh-huh. And as it turns out the reason that they're able to have such a high success ratio is that they only accept people who fit within like certain parameters, because if you can do that, if you like limit the, you know, limit the personalities that you're trying to match up with each other, then you can, you know, you can have a higher success ratio because you know, these, you know, these personalities are going to work together. Um, so if you didn't fit like within the, the criteria, um, anyway, so I, yeah, I had, but I, it wasn't until I, um, you like did not fit in the criteria. There's like that. Do not commute people do not compute. So it was Guy. probably, uh, 10, about 12 years ago. Um, that I was like actively started. I was obviously also, um, always been, um, relatively monogamous. So it was never like, dating multiple people like at the same time. Um, but internet dating was becoming more and more of a thing over the, the, the course of, of years. So I would like get involved with somebody date for date, just that person for a while, you know, a year or so or whatever. And then that wouldn't work. And then it'd be back on. And then just, you know, the apps kept, kept, uh, evolving over time. Um, and I forget, did I tell you how I told you how Catherine and I met, right? Tell me. So it was sort of on a dating app, but it sort of wasn't um, because I was in Mexico uh, on vacation by myself and I get a text what? from, I get a text from my mom and mom says, uh, when was this? When was this? This is uh, right, but like um, right before Catherine and I met. So it's four and a half years ago. Okay. Um, and so I get a text from mom that just says, uh, <laughs> 
call this lovely young lady. She wants to meet you. And then it has a phone number. Like didn't even say her name or have a picture or anything. It's just, it was like, it was, didn't it was, even say her name. It was like, so, wow. it, was, it was like, it was like something written on a bathroom wall. It was so bizarre. I'm like, that's weird, mom. And she's like, no. And then she, you know, tells me your name and sends me your picture and everything. I'm like, okay, I'll, um, you know, I'll call her when I get home. So, uh, I get home and I wait, um, a few days, like, uh, you know, the, it's maybe a week, uh, after I get home and I text the number and uh there's no answer and i was like huh well whatever um and then a few days later i was at family dinner and mom was like oh did you ever call that person and i said i i texted the number and i didn't get a get an answer and she's like huh that's weird and then we were both on uh, a dating app so we matched each other on a dating app because i recognized her her picture and she messaged me and she's like hey i think i'm supposed to meet you and i'm like yeah i texted you you didn't text me back uh, and she's like, what number did you text? Well, Catherine's from North Carolina originally. Her phone number has a North Carolina area code. Mom had given me her number with the Boise area code. Mom gave me the wrong number. Oh, so you're just texting some rando out there. I was probably texting a landline. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the, the so it was sort of a dating app, but sort of not uh connection and then yeah we went on first date and we were like yeah this is this is pretty cool we should keep hanging out and uh and then yeah now here we are four years together yep and you've been married for how long six months six months so i uh i found this uh i found something that i'm gonna speak and then sing All right, so we were talking about dating and websites. And you I think you saw this. I sent you this one, but So th- uh, I was last night I was just really horny. Um so I just went online and I found some websites that I thought y'all might be interested in. So um <laughs> grinder, grind me. Find me, funk me, fondle my pinky, bring your binky. That's so kinky. Bumble, fumble around with your Christians mingle. Tangled up in your farmer's tans only. Boners, stoners, manhunt, match me, catch me. Mindful, ever so mindful of my throbbing. Suck me, lick me, see me, see me, see me. Polyamory, pagans unite, bite me, but don't fight me and please... Don't break my sweet little heart again. Dot com. <laughs> Not even an ounce. Damn you, brother. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know if that was. I didn't know if that was the punchline. I didn't know if it was. If there was more coming. <laughs> When's the punchline? I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> All right. Well, then there was a uh, Tinder. Swipe right, but don't violate my boundaries. There's plenty of fish fishing for truth or a kissing booth with consensual sensuality and cuddles and spanks. But please, I'm not really into adult baby diapers. Thanks. I really want to understand what the fuck is going on here. Could somebody please explain to me what is happening here? Maybe we could just talk to each other and bumble, fumble around, sometimes vulnerable, sometimes humble. Bumblebee. Be free, 
a free system unfolding mysteriously into something new, creative, loving, inclusive, dark, light, different than the better, different, better than the current socio-environmental, economic, political shit show. Let's go create a different fucking show. I'm ready. Ah! Was that good for you? <laughs> Dot O-R-G. <laughs> Did you really get the image when I went? Yeah, no, that? I got. Yeah, no, that was that part was that was definitely clear. <laughs> Pretty much nothing else was, but <sighs> anyway. And then along with that, because this was something that I really loved to do, was to get the audience singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, audience, if you'd like to sing with me, spank me. <laughs> Wait. Spank me. Sorry. Spank me. <laughs> and I'll spank you, spoon you. Sing just a little bit of tune for you, oh won't you spank me, spoon me, sing a little tune for me and I'll spank you, spoon you, sing a little bit of tune for you. One more time, spank me, spoon me, sing a little tune for me and I'll Spank you, spoon you, sing just a little bitty tune for you. Thank you for joining us. We're glad you were here. If you want to support what we're doing, you can do that at patreon.com slash H-I-M-M-B or at Heidi J L L C on Venmo. Thank you. We appreciate you. Donate now.